Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new thriller, horror, dark comedy, Ready or Not. We're also going to take a gander at the new 4K final cut screening of Apocalypse Now, final cut, the new Francis Ford Coppola version of the 1979 classic. You know it, you love it, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about some trailers that we've seen in the past week that are coming up, some movies that we're interested uh, in watching for the show. And before we get to all that, we need to go over the news. The first story, something I'm very excited to talk about, the Breaking Bad movie is headed to Netflix this fall. A teaser and poster have been released. Andy, Breaking Bad, the television show on AMC, starring Brian Cranston as Walter Heisenberg. What do you think? Um, Breaking Bad's de- definitely one of my favorite shows of all time, and in my opinion, one of the best TV shows of all time. Um, and it's cool to see the uh, the series expanded. We've seen this in Better Call Saul, of course, the, the spinoff show. And this movie that was announced a while ago and is officially called El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, and will follow... Uh, Jesse Pinkman, who we last saw him breaking free of kind of this neo-Nazi compound where he was forced to uh, continue making meth. And uh, so it looks like he's on the run. He's trying to escape and we're going to be catching up with him. I'm excited for this as well. I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. We've never really gotten to talk about it on the show, but it's a very cinematic television show. So it seems fitting that there's a film for it. Uh, It does seem like the world of Breaking Bad is ever expanding in a weird way because like we talked about uh, a little earlier today, actually. Uh, Breaking Bad wrapped up in a really clean way. Um, but it's interesting to see that they're making a movie spinoff of a five-season television show. And, of course, that also had another television show spinoff of that. But um, it's intriguing to me that they're making a movie. You know, I can't remember the last time that happened for a television show, and here we are. And I know they had announced it a little while ago, but it still kind of came off as a surprise. I think people kind of forgot that they're making yeah. a movie. Yeah, and and it reminds me of uh, The Sopranos is also making a prequel film called uh, The Saints of Newark, um, where they're expanding that. And that's something that we're seeing, I think, in this modern age of film and television, where those lines are continuing to be blurred, where we can expand past the whatever the original uh, kind of property was. Uh, we And we were saying, we were talking about the sex at lunch, that... You know, in the 80s and the 90s, you couldn't have done complimentary TV shows because TV was so far below what film was doing. But now that film and TV are kind of neck and neck in quality, you kind of have a you can do that. You can expand these worlds kind of equally. And and this film would not work in a theater. If you were to try to do a big theatrical release, it wouldn't make enough money, but it's perfect for streaming. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, streaming has blurred the lines between film and television. And suddenly we're in this weird in-between of just entertainment content that is just never-ending between all the services. So somebody needs something to break out and do well. Why not uh, make a film in, in, in a franchise that's known and loved, right? It's just like making a superhero sequel, except for Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely interested by, I mean, from what we've seen, the teaser looks really cool, starring our man Skinny Pete from the show. If you haven't watched it, by the way, Breaking Bad is totally worth your time. I think we both yeah. endorse that show. One uh, uh, one, one quick thing. Is, so this is called El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, which insinuates we could see more Breaking Bad films in the future, right. depending on how this does. Right, like Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Yes, very similar. Exactly. I'm intrigued. I can't wait to see it. It'll come out October 11th on Netflix. Uh, it will then air on AMC, where Breaking Bad originally aired. They're going to run it on television, but it'll live on Netflix otherwise. Uh, we'll probably end up watching it for the show, so keep it here. And if you haven't watched Breaking Bad yet, get started, because this is probably going to be some spoiler content for that show. 
Uh, our next story, Netflix foregoes wide release for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, the new Martin Scorsese mob picture starring Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci coming out of retirement, is not going to be getting a wide theatrical release. This is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, they were... This is their Oscar hopeful, just like last year's Roma, and they were really pushing to get it into a major theater chain, uh, but th- but just weren't able to find a compromise. Now, it will be available in s- select indie theaters like Landmark um, at the beginning of November for uh, two to three weeks before it uh, shows up on streaming at the end of the month. Um but theaters don't like uh, they respect the sanctity of the 90 day release window uh which i think is too big and i think most people are starting to think that as well they want a full 90 days of a film uh, or a, a film in theater before it hits uh home dvd or streaming or whatever and they couldn't come up with a deal between amc or any other uh theater chain and so uh they're not going to get a wide the- theatrical release as was kind of promised earlier right and apparently netflix had originally offered up 30 day window of we we won't put the irishman on our streaming service if you run it in theaters for 30 days you know we'll, we'll wait 30 days before we put it on netflix and amc the biggest theater chain in the world didn't go for that along with a few others but i imagine amc is kind of leading the charge here um you know it's weird the academy awards which is really what am what netflix is pushing for here with this movie they've always had some kind of vague rules about streaming and what qualifies for them, and they say normally a four-week exclusive release should qualify, right? The movie has to be in a theater for four weeks, in all theaters, I should say, wide release, for four weeks before it goes to a streaming service. We've talked about it on the show before, but Andy, any hot takes on that? Does that make sense to you? Because it confuses me a little bit. Um, you know, the Oscars have always had rules about qualification, and Netflix has always played by those rules, and then people get upset. It's really weird. They get accused of gaming the system, but it's like, well, the rules are you have to be in a theater for two weeks, and that's exactly what they do. And then people say, well, you gain the system just to get the awards. It was like, yeah, just like a ton of other films do. So it's it's kind of antiquated, and it's, it's a bit eye-rolling. And the Oscars were... T- they were trying to pass a rule to make it say that you have to have your film longer, which actually got the attention of the department of justice and had to do this whole thing with antitrust laws. Um, so they kind of backed down, but even if they increase that rule, Netflix would just abide by it. Like that's, they're not breaking any rules. <laughs> they're sticking by the rules that they, uh, the Academy made. And then the Academy's upset that they're doing exactly what they said they needed to do. <laughs> I don't really understand. Yeah, and and it's worth mentioning here that while Netflix seems to be alone right now in championing this policy, Amazon struggles with it with their studio films, and Netflix is about to be joined by Disney Plus and Apple, who are also going to want Academy Awards and are also going to want to stream their films that they make. So this fight's going to get louder before it gets quieter, and I'm gonna I'm, I'll be interested to see how the Academy bounces back from it um before we move on to our last story i just wanted to say this movie the irishman just a real quick uh, uh summary of it because this article has a great one uh it, I, the irishman tells the deathbed of uh the, oh my god the irishman tells the deathbed story of a mob hitman i got it who claimed to have had a role in the disappearance of jimmy hoffa that's what the movie's about so check it out uh it's coming out didn't i say the release date september 27th no that's not it november 27th that's when yeah. it comes out so that's when you can expect to see The Irishman on Netflix and select theaters. Our last story, uh, regarding the summer box office, just in review, looking back, Hollywood's high hopes for the summer have ended with, as this wonderful Hollywood Reporter article states, a bummer. 
summer bummer bummer <laughs> of a summer right. why is that andy uh, so revenue is is down so far in 2019, uh, despite having a, a huge summer, and you know things like Avengers Endgame, which is now the the biggest uh, film of all time, uh, revenue wise. But we talked about this the, f- the first half of the year. The first half of the year was weak. It was real weak. <laughs> it's real like, weak. Like uh, January, February was bad. Uh, you had us in March, and that was about it. Uh, not a lot in April, and then in things. Then the summer season kicked off. But even some of the uh, you know, the summer tent poles have been disappointing. Uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I, everything that was disappointing are things we saw, which I think is funny. Uh, Men in Black International <laughs> as well. And then there's, there were some smaller kind of mid-sized films uh, billed as counter-programming that also didn't do real well, which we all saw. Longshot, Stuber, uh, we didn't see Late Night uh, yesterday. There's, there's another one. So there are... It, it's just not been a great summer overall. We have had some tent poles. We have had some blockbusters knocking out of the park, like The Lion King and Spider-Man Far From Home. But then we, like I said, the year overall is down. Yeah, this this article really does read like a rap sheet, like of all the things that came out that just did not do as well as they should have. Like you said, uh, the Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen comedy, long shot, Stuber didn't do great. Uh, Rocket Man and Yesterday both did pretty good, but ultimately didn't get where they were supposed to be. Dark Phoenix, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Men in Black 4, all three of them bombed. I mean, they didn't do wonderful, but they just didn't do what they needed to do. Okay, maybe a couple of them bombed. Godzilla did okay. Um, The things that really stood on top, the cream, right, that rose to the top were primarily Disney films, which we've, you know, Disney is is killing it at the box office this year. They may be the best a studio has ever done ever at the movies. Uh, The Lion King, Toy Story 4, Aladdin were all tremendous. Avengers Endgame came out. Sony Spider-Man Far From Home, which Disney was a co-creator on. All fantastic. The only movie that did particularly well that wasn't a Disney film was Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was the only one that really stood out. Um, Any hot takes from this, Andy? Andy? Hot sports opinions? Um, Well, while the year has been down, it's been... This is going to be the best year on record for Disney, and they still have a few huge properties to come out, and, of course, Disney Plus coming out in November. So uh, they might save the box office, but even if they don't, it's a great year for them. It's they've already passed their how much money they've made in their best year, and we still have four or five months to go. There's certainly some kind of foreseeable trends. I think you can you can look at you can predict based on what we're seeing here next summer. I'd imagine we're going to see a couple more music biopics. Those were big this year. Uh, you're going to see mm-hmm. less original comedies. And if you do get original comedies, they're going to be on streaming services. That's where these things are going to be coming out now because they know people know if you're going to get in the in, in the theater, right? You got to look at you got to look at movie releases as almost like a chessboard, and you have to look at where Disney is and dance around them because wherever Disney's going to be, it's going to do well. Otherwise, you just got to fend for yourself. So, man, Disney's really figuring this stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that, we should move on to our uh, first film of the show. Uh, I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so excuse my inherent stumbles. The movie is Ready or Not. We're going to start the count. Good luck. 
So Ready or Not is the story of Grace, a young, blonde bride-to-be who's marrying into a family of game makers, kind of a, a, a dominion, as they call themselves, of uh, a family that has been making board games for generations. And uh, this, this family is definitely odd and unique, but has a monstrous fo- fortune. And Grace has trouble connecting with them, with everybody except, of course, her husband-to-be, Alex. Uh, <laughs> the two of them... On their wedding night, are at the family house, uh, and some and and Grace is surprised when Alex explains that in order to fully marry into the family, after after we say our vows and everything, we have to play a game, right? We have to draw a card out of a mystery box, and it'll tell us what game to play. Well, as implied by uh, the title, uh, Grace draws uh, not the ready or not card, but <laughs> the hide and seek card, yeah, uh, which is probably what this game, what this movie should have been called, but it, you know that movie, that title was taken. Uh, and has to play hide-and-seek with the family. What she doesn't know is there's some spooky mystical magic behind this game, and it's not a normal game of hide-and-seek. The family has to murder her in the worst fashion before dawn, and if she can hide from all of them, maybe, just maybe, she can escape the horrors of the Le Doma family. Uh, That is ready or not uh, (laughs) in the most subtle of ways. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about with this movie, but first things first, Andy, what did you think of ready or not? So I actually ended up really liking this um, and I didn't think I would. When I first saw the trailer, I was like, this looks like some August trash that you just dump in this movie. You don't know where to go. Um, But it really surprised me and it, it works, um, I think, because it takes its premise very seriously. Um, and then we also we have really good performances, especially by Samara Weaving, who I've been calling Discount Mar- Margot Robbie. Oh, my gosh. Uh, she looks like Margot Robbie, doesn't <laughs> she? Yeah, we'll get to that. It's fine. Um, incredible performance by her uh, because she, it, there's a lot in this movie. There's there's comedy. There's darkness. There's horror elements. A lot of bo- body horror. You know, not, not, There's not jump scares, but there's lots of like things that make you wince, and particularly that happened to her. And she does a great job of being that kind of a damsel in distress uh, kind of surviving uh, horror survival thing and then it's just it's creepy the house they're in it's really dark it just it really leans into its its whole mythology and it surprisingly it really worked for me yeah i feel the same way uh, when the trailer came out we were definitely skeptical i i can't remember which episode it was but we did it for the trailer park and we both said it looked terrible um, you know, I, I was surprised. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. It's actually a lot of fun. It's very original and very charming. There's definitely some problems. It's not a perfect film. Um, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about what works and what doesn't, whether or not it's worth your time. Uh, first things first, let's talk about our cast. Uh, our main character, Grace, is played by, like you said, Samara Weaving, who looks very much like Margot Robbie in this picture. Uh, I think it's it's got to be her hair and her eyeshadow that kind of hides the shape of her face just enough to make her look like Margot Robbie, but it's wild. This movie also stars Adam Brody, who played... I don't remember his name on the OC. He was also in Shazam most recently. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is clearly getting a little bit going in his career again, and which is great, because he's actually pretty good in this movie. Uh, our husband is Alex, uh, played by Mark O'Brien, who I don't know from anything, but he's pretty good. And the rest of the cast just kind of filters out. The only Andy, other one, Andy McDowell, yeah, yeah, is Andy McDowell, uh, who appears in this film in the most surprising of ways. Uh, but she is the mother, the matriarch of the family. Um, pretty good all, all around. I think I, I, I enjoyed everybody. Uh, I thought they were very genuine performances. They're a little hokey, but there's there's a little bit of comedy in this movie. Uh, so that's you know 
a little understandable, I think. What did you think of him? Um, like I said, Samara Weaving is, I think, uh, really pulls this movie together. She's got a lot of real tough uh, acting scenes, uh, which are a lot of fun. And, and again, there's lots of of uh, kind of comedy violence that happens. Uh, people getting shot in the eye with a crossbow, this this kind of thing. Um, and it, yeah, they're all, they lean into this mysticism and they do whenever they sit down at the table to kind of talk about the ritual because they're really into ritual. They talk about the whole uh, history of the Le Dumas uh, family and where, how they inherited their fortune and this story that goes back to the 1600s. And they all really are, they, they're all buying into it and they're really selling it because of that. So I, I thought the performances uh, were really good. Yeah, like the the challenge for Samara Weaving as the bride, right? You have to play this kind of character of ignorance who doesn't know what's coming and then slowly discovers like the horror of this game that she's playing and has to evade the family and ultimately like come out on top. It's tough. And she holds down the role great as our protagonist. Like you root for, you're excited for. The thing I enjoyed the most about everybody else's performance in the family is they all know what's coming. So the whole first act of the movie is just super insidious in the funniest of ways because everything they say feels like it has a double entendre because we've seen from the trailer like you can you can see the trailer and understand where this movie's going. So all of the family know she is getting backed into a corner on this and it makes all of their lines just a little bit funnier because you know what's, like, coming, what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. Yeah, we understand as the audience what what the trick is and our brain our main character doesn't. It makes it really charming. None of them are particularly experienced killers, so there's a little bit of a bumbling, like, Home Alone-style element to that. Like, they're trying to figure out how to use crossbows and stuff and watching YouTube videos. But ultimately, for, like, a, you know, for a little 110-minute horror film, it pays off and it it pays dividends. Now, I do want to talk about the horror, right? The gore and Mm -hmm. the the, the darkness. And we should kind of talk about that. Uh, This movie's... Well, here, you you take the reins on this one. What would you think? (laughs) Well... Uh, so like I said, it's not, it's not scary. Like you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to be jumping or anything like that, but it is heavy on the, uh, the gore. Like I said, there, there's a whole tradition of using kind of period weapons in this hunt, uh, that, that they do. And so you have these, like I said, the guy with the crossbow, the ax, like, you know, a Derringer from the thirties, it's all this kind of ancient weaponry and it bumbles around, but it's still deadly and it still does kill people. So we have like some of this weapon violence we have, um, uh, just in, impaled people getting impaled, people getting cut up. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean the gore. It's some real gory stuff, and it reminded me a lot of actually uh, of Kill Bill because the, the blood spattered b- bride. Okay, you know, you know, I got some of those same kind of vibes because uh, Samara Weaving or Grace uh, really kind of she once she figures out what's going on, she kind of uses her wits. And there's this great scene where she she kicks off her shoes and put puts on her trusty chucks, which are yellow and kind of you know there's a little bit of a class thing theme going on uh in the background here yeah you can you can see it on the movie poster like she gets a a, a bandolier slung over her shoulder and has a shotgun and like it it very quickly turns into like ho- the halloween costume of 2019 like the bride in ready or not it will be something you'll probably end up seeing um which which i thought was particularly charming and you're right like the the horror has a bit of like a slapsticky element to it um mm-hmm. th- there's a character in this movie uh, one of the one of the women in, in, in the family who's new to the family recently married in who keeps accidentally murdering people 
uh, and and rather than take it very seriously, it's 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 treated very uh, slapstick, like whoopsie, like kind of nope. you know. Uh, which There's is, another body, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, charming in, in, in a fun way, and kind of draws from the gore and stuff, which isn't too in your face. Um, I want to talk about the setting, the house in this movie that that almost the entire movie takes place in is very intriguing. Uh, mm. A lot of wood paneling, a lot of like big grand staircases and hallways and stained glass and. It's it's like it's like kind of like a creepy haunted house that people are still living in. Um, a lot yeah. of like lanterns on the wall and stuff, and candlelight and secret passageways. Movie, yeah, secret passageways. Dumb waiter. Almost the whole movie takes place in this house, and there's a few scenes that are outside which just feel real dry. Like the house is really where the fun is happening, but you don't get a whole lot of like saw traps or anything. It's just kind yeah. of a basic house. Yeah. Other than some security cameras, I think that, that are relevant in the film, but there um, are, there is a sequence involving a, a barn, which I thought was really good and really kind of uh, like stomach churning. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, the last thing I think I want to talk about, cause the music wasn't really anything to write home about was kind of the exposition of how, how, how the game works and why the family feels like they have to do it, you know, cause that's kind of the driving force. What is, what is the main conflict in the film? It's this game of hide and seek that is murderous. Why does the family think they have to do it? There's definitely some kind of like mystical story explanation behind it. And while it's not explained particularly well, there is a pretty charming scene where the kind of the patriarch of the family, the father, uh, Tony, explains it to everybody in the room like this ritual mm-hmm. and the camera kind of pans around this table and like it's a little clumsy and it's a little corny but like it works perfect for what this movie does it's not too in your face it's not too overblown it's not about gods and devils or anything it's just this charming little hey here's here's why we feel like we have to we, we have to murder you by sunrise great go you know like it, it totally totally works great Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's it's the perfect length. Like this is an example of doing like a fun little non-serious movie, but doing it well. You know, it's it takes its premise serious. You have good performances by all involved. It's it it's shot uh, well. Like I said, it really gives off this whole darkness. Everything's kind of orange, or it's got a little bit of an amber tilt to it um, as well. Any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Ready or Not? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fun end of summer horror movie, horror comedy. It's not too long. It definitely does have a lot of violence, and it, it is definitely a lot of that body horror things that will make you wince. And uh, so, if you're not uh, a person who's into <laughs> that, it, you might skip it. But uh, but I really enjoyed it, and, and I did not expect to. Yeah, I, I would recommend it as well. It's a really fun 95-minute, like, reverse whodunit kind of comedy horror film. It's not too heavy on the comedy. It's not too heavy on the horror. It's just charming enough to, like, do both well. And you get a fun female protagonist in the middle. It's 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 a fun little... Oh, yes, end-of-summer horror flick. Great popcorn flick. You're probably not going to go see it in theaters. But whenever it inevitably shows up on streaming, check it out. I, I bet you'll enjoy it. I'm not kidding. And, and I'm thinking this is going to be one of those horror movies that has, like, four or five direct-to-video sequels. Uh, I could see there being a Ready or Not Dark Deception and Ready or Not 3 and Ready or Not 4 or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like... Yeah, there could be some regular repetition of this. Yeah, the uh, you could have the gender swap version of it where it's the uh, the br- the bridegroom who has to uh, or the groom who has to escape. There you go. And then in the third one, have it be the bride and the groom. 
for some reason. Like, they're together, and they're like, we're going to figure it out. And then one of them, like, betrays the other one. That would be a big twist. Like, yeah, there, there's, there's enough room in here for variation that they'll probably do two or three more of them. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out for Ready or Not. Uh, and with that, we should move on to our next section. We're going to be going over some trailers. Andy, you want to take the uh, the headliner on this? Yeah. The report. If the Times had your report, we would print it tomorrow. No. If it's going to come out, it's going to come out the right way. Uh, so the report is a new film uh, financed by Amazon, uh, starring Adam Driver, Corey Stoll, John Hamm. This great cast, and is about an investigate uh, investigator in the Department of Homeland Security uh, looking into the CIA's torture program of detainees post nine eleven. Uh, this movie looks really phenomenal. We see uh, Adam Driver as kind of a young green. Uh, homeland security officer who's investigating this and you know they right off the bat there they're like there's no trail there's no evidence they burn the tapes and so he he his job is to go find out what was going on what was on these tapes what were they doing and he slowly is uncovering uh this torture program which by now is uh very well known and and famous um, but th- it, this movie looks really incredible to me and i've read on this subject and this kind of stuff before so i i'm stoked for it what do you think I'm excited. I, I like true crime stuff. I'm a little, I'm a little wary of like the post 2011 terrorism film genre. Like I know it's a thing. I just kind of struggle to connect with it. I'm not sure why, but maybe it's because I live in this age. But I, I think Adam Driver plays a great kind of like doe-eyed protagonist who mm-hmm. has to slowly undercover like the horror of whatever's happening. I think he's very fit for that. Um, and I think that's exactly what he'll is, is what he'll be doing here, undercovering this like CIA torture plot post nine eleven. I think the 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 cast here reads fantastic. You're looking at people like Adam Driver, Annette Bening, John Hamm, Tim Blake Nelson, Michael C. Hall, Corey Stoll is in this movie. Jennifer Morrison, like you get some really cool people uh, coming together to make this this picture. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm excited that it's going to be on Amazon so we can watch it easily for the show, but it will also uh, come out theatrically November 15th and it'll stream on Amazon 15 days later, 14 days later, November 29th. So end of November is when you'll expect to see this film. Uh, Our next one is El Camino, a breaking bad movie. I don't know why I had a Breaking Bad movie. Uh, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, like we talked about at the open, is the follow-up to the five-season television series Breaking Bad. In the picture, after escaping Jack and his gang, Jesse Pinkman goes on the run from the police and tries to escape his own inner turmoil. We don't know a whole lot about it. We're not sure who's in it. We know the trailer features uh, Skinny Pete, which is the name of one of his drug-dealing friends from the show Breaking Bad. Other than that... That's all we know, and I appreciate Andy giving me the summary on this one because it's super easy. Uh, Andy, what do you think of this? Um, like I said before, I'm a huge fan of Breaking Bad, and I, I'm interested to see what they do in film form. Uh, this is being directed by Vince Gilligan, who uh, was the creator of Breaking Bad, so that gives me confidence in that they're going to tell a really good story. And he's he's also been involved in the creation of Better Call Saul, so he knows this world really well. He knows how to tell a really kind of internal story to, to make about 
it's always about these characters, not necessarily the bigger bigger spectacle. So I, I'm really excited to see where it goes and if we're going to get some more of these films. Yeah, me too. All right, uh, last one, please. The King. A new chapter of my life has begun. Already I can feel the weight of this crown I wear. So this is a new period drama. Uh coming out on Netflix in a couple of months, uh, starring Timothy Chalamet, uh, Robert Pattinson, Ben Mendelsohn, Joel Edgerton, and more. Uh, this is not Shakespeare, which I thought it was <laughs> several, several times because it looks like Shakespeare. Um, but no, it's about uh, Henry V, uh, King of England. Uh, <clears throat> Timothy Chalamet plays the titular king who apparently he is has this crown thrust upon him. He was just like, Normal prince does not want to be king, but his father dies, and so he must take over the crown, deal with this war, deal with palace politics. And so it's that kind of period film. We see in the trailer that that kind of, you know, costumes, but we also see armies, people in armor, trebuchets, which I got excited about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joel Edgerton's in this as, as well, and he, uh, he's... Um, is really good at out of the gate. I, I'm a sucker for a good period uh, film and good. It's not sword and sandal, but it's whatever the medieval version of sword and sandal is. Um, sword and sandal. So uh, I I liked it, and it's on Netflix, so I'll probably watch it. What did you think of this? Uh, well, first off, I'm definitely gonna have to work sword and sandal into my vocabulary ro- rotation because I haven't used that in a long time, and that's fantastic. <laughs> I think the king looks pretty cool. I- I'm in the same boat as you in a very much in a much more narrow window. I'm a sucker for a good medieval picture, like, and that's important, like, because there's a lot of them that are bad. I think they're easy to mess up. Like tonally, you've got to get something really right for it to resonate with modern audiences. It has to be intriguing and probably have some good battle scenes. And it's got to have real good writing that can override like that old school, you know, style of speaking. It's got to be shot well. It's got to have good performances. Like it's tough to make one of these movies work well. And I think with Timothy Chalamet at the helm, who is an up and coming, uh, you know, young actor, uh, they're definitely going for something that's hoping to be award-winning i think you know they want something to be real real sharp here uh joel edgerton is of course writing the screenplay and he's in it It also stars robert pattinson who's a big up-and-comer ben mendelsohn's big um this feels like a big deal and while it's not one shakespeare play according to the wikipedia so take that at your own risk uh this is an adaptation of several plays from shakespeare's henriad so it's like a combination of stuff Uh. at least at least the synopsis kind (laughs) of comes from that so I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. Uh, Yeah, it'll be coming out in October uh, in theaters, and then it'll start streaming uh, 1st of November, which is real soon. Real soon. That's like this this weekend. (laughs) Yeah, that's very quick. And and one more thing before we move on. I just wanted to bring this back to the beginning of the show, back when I said we can probably expect a lot of streaming services to come, a lot of original films to be showing up there. Well... El Camino is derivative and The King is based on a previous work, but for what it's worth, uh, all three of these films that we're doing for the trailer park are coming to streaming services. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if that's ever actually happened. I think usually at least one is going to be exclusively theatrical, but no, th- these are all going to be streaming films. Yeah, I didn't, and I didn't even notice that because they're su- such big thing, things and, you know, have such big actors. And I, I've been reading about the report or I've been seeing things about that movie for right. a while now. So yeah, uh, 
sign of the times, I guess. The report will be on Amazon in, at the end of November. Breaking Bad will be on Netflix at the end of November. The King will be on Netflix at the beginning of November. That's where you can watch them, and we'll probably watch them for the show, so keep it here for more. With that being said, we should <laughs> move on to our final film of the episode. Andy is taking the summary for this. Andy, please take it away. Apocalypse Now, The Final Cut. This is the end. So uh, recently, uh, the Offscript gang <laughs> went and saw uh, Apocalypse Now, the new Final Cut 4K restoration at the historic Texas Theater in Oak Cliff, uh, Texas. Um, man, this this was quite quite a thing. I've seen Apocalypse Now once before, uh, and for those of you who don't know the story, it tells the story of uh, a U.S. Army officer in Vietnam uh, sent on a super secret mission to assassinate a rogue. Uh, officer, um, I keep wanting to say my, Michael Douglas. Martin Sheen uh, plays uh, the titular ca- character Willard, who's sorry, who's sent upriver with a small gang of of men uh, to go upriver and find this man. And uh, this movie is based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, set in Vietnam. So that's a lot of interesting thing. This is an American classic. It um, has lots of famous scenes, lots of uh, scenes that have been copied and parodied over and over. Um, and it, it's something else. It's three. This this cut is over three hours long, and we <laughs> three, and we three hours two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is an epic in every sense of the word. It was a very troubled production. Took about three years to make this film. Martin Sheen had a heart attack on set. <laughs> Um, I mean, it was just, that did happen. We looked it up. Uh, it's craziness and, uh, we have a lot to talk about. So we'll start with Zach. What did you think? Cause this was your first time to see it. Yes. Uh, this was my first time seeing Apocalypse Now in its entirety. My dad had watched it in the past a few times. He was a history teacher. So naturally Vietnam war, but, uh, I'd never actually sat down and watched the whole thing. Cause I always knew it was real long. That's, all, that's what I always knew about it. It's a really long, really slow movie, so I never actually sat down and watched it. We saw it at, like you said, the Texas Theater. Fantastic as always. Just a shout-out to them. They put on a great show. Um, go support your local Texas Theater. They need the help, uh, which is great. Um, I really like this movie much more than I thought I would. Like I knew Apocalypse Now was a classic. I didn't know it was like a masterpiece, so <laughs> that was a surprise to me. I couldn't believe this was a Francis Ford Coppola picture. I've seen his movies before, but like this almost felt something more like a Kubrick flick. Yeah. It was so different and fresh and exciting. It's hard to believe it came out in 1979. There's a ton of good things I have to say about this movie. We should get into it. But before we do, what did you think of this? So I first actually watched this on Netflix and I watched the original theatrical cut it was about two and a half hours. And it was, I was like, okay, you know, I liked it. It was interesting. Uh, but man, it was a different thing altogether experiencing it in the theater it's you know it probably has the best war scenes up until saving private ryan uh came out but there's so much in here it's this massive production i mean just like some of the sequences must have taken months to like choreograph and and rehearse and get just right um you know it's shot on location there's thousands of extras um but it's also it's about a lot of deep things and we can talk about that later, but there's just so many themes about war and life and good evil. Like 
I mean, you could write, I'm sure many papers have been uh, written about it, um, but I, I really enjoyed it. This cut feels a little bit too long. I think there's a sequence toward the end that could probably still be cut, um, but I, but overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I did as well. Um, let's dive into this. What's the best place to go? I guess we should probably talk about the overarching film, right, as a whole, because it is three hours. Um, yeah. Before we got into it, you kind of you, you were having a conversation with a friend who went and saw it with us, and you pointed out that Apocalypse Now is like a series of vignettes, right? It's a whole lot of like, it's it's based off the the the, the short story Heart of Darkness, which is a story about a man who is traveling up a river in Africa, I think, in the original story, to meet with a ivory hunter uh, uh, who has gone crazy. This is set in Vietnam and is about Martin Sheen traveling up a river in Vietnam to meet with Colonel, don't remember his Kurt, name. Kurtz. Kurtz. Hertz. Yep. Kurtz. Uh, uh, because he's wacko and he's gone off the grid. So that's the whole deal. Uh, and as they travel up the river, we get just kind of a series of alternating scenes. We get traveling up the river and a little bit of character development on this little boat and, and, and some research into, into the Colonel and kind of a flashback into Martin Sheen. And you learn more about him, uh, about our antagonist and our protagonist. And then you get the boat to stop somewhere, right? They need fuel or they, they find villagers or they're passing through a, a crazy area or something. And you get a scene of, you know, exposition in Vietnam and what's going on with the war and what's happening. And maybe you get a little character development in there too, but primarily that's what it is. It's, 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 on land, doing things, on the boat, moving along. On yeah. land, doing things, on the boat, <laughs> moving along, right? One after another. Um, for me, that doesn't quite get old. There are some scenes, uh, some of the some of the vignettes when they're stopped that do get long. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I, I didn't mind that format. What do you think? Um, I, I, I enjoyed it, and it definitely... It- it gives the pacing th- difference to do because like some of my favorite things are when he's going through the file of, of Kurtz and he's slowly kind of narrating like this incredible career that Colonel Kurtz has had, but then strangely went into like the, uh, the paratroopers or something, something that an 18 year old would do or go into uh, green berets. Maybe, um, you know, those are some of my favorite scenes, but then we, we get a kind of a larger exposition about the war itself and the way that, kind of the u.s is handling it we have of course the very famous sequence with robert duvall his famous line i love the smell of napalm in the morning uh we have a sequence with uh the uso show with the playboy playmates who show up um there's this in this cut there's an extended dinner sequence with these uh french colonialists um and then there's a couple of other small ones in there too and so those really tell you a lot about the war whereas the parts on the boat are telling you about the men in involved Right. The parts in the boat are a main line through our plot and the stops are, hey, here's the setting. Here's what's going on. Here's Vietnam. Here's America. And and really, you've kind of got two separate things going on, but it's balanced just enough that it works. Uh, our, our protagonist, Martin Sheen, is primarily silent unless it's the scenes on the boat when he's kind of talking to himself and going over the files and finding that he connects with Kurtz way more than he thought he would, right? This this horror of war that seems to have scarred the two of them, but in different ways. Uh, this this darkness and light that's played up way more at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, yeah, we have these scenes that are very, very... Fl- in a way, I couldn't decide if they were very flag-waving American or anti-American. It's a little bit up to you. Uh, we get some... 
odd slapsticky American comedy humor in the Robert Duvall stuff with the surfers, which is very odd. Yeah. um, But feels very, I think Martin Sheen's character says it, you know, they, they, and the, the soldiers are trying to make it as much like home as possible. Right. Not think that they're in Vietnam murdering people, which is tragic. Uh, you, you get some odd American romance, uh, especially in the French colonialist bit. Um, action is to be expected but at the same time as all this is happening america is just f- cutting through vietnam and murdering people the whole way and indiscriminately yeah yeah and like i couldn't decide whether or not this was a pro or anti-war film do you have an opinion on that um you know i've heard uh discussions and debates that it that, that it's both which i think is an indication of a great film <laughs> that you don't know and recently uh francis ford coppola is said um he leaned in the direction of it's very it's not anti-war at all it's pretty it glorifies war but at the same time there's parts that i I think what it does is shows the hypocrisy uh of war itself which we can talk a little bit more about that but it it, at the same time it does it definitely is glorifying like the u.s presence there and like the the sequence which we've all seen and heard of like the ride of the valkyries with the uh the airborne cavalry flying in uh, I mean, that's something else to see and hear it in the theater. Because I've seen that sequence before. I saw it on, on Netflix. But when you're in there, I was like, I'm going to go enlist. I mean, this is the, the kind of feeling yeah. it 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 kind of hits you with. Uh, so it's all over the place. At the same time, it's it's obviously showing, like, you know, disregard for, for human life and war crimes uh, happening on, on a massive scale. So... Yeah, there's this weird twisted kind of humor about it uh, as as these commando Americans are flying into this village to drop uh, Martin Sheen and his crew off to start going up the river. Uh, And they start playing Ride of the Valkyries like it's initially funny. And as they kind of come over the horizon, you see all these kids going to school and all these moms with them. And then they all start to panic and run, uh, you know, this Vietnamese village. And then, like, God, these helicopters come over the hill and they just blow this place to hell like in the most spectacular fashion like i almost laughed in the theater it was so dark yeah, like, it's so oh absurd it's so God. over the top it really is um but it's also a spectacle that you can't help but look at it's really incredible stuff um and and those set pieces throughout the film it's that's just one example of some action going on but it's incredible how much of this feels like it was actually shot in the jungle. Like they've got this boat going through the water for three hours, you know, and you've got these set pieces as they get further in of, of just thick, dense jungle and tigers and skulls on pikes and villagers with like clay all over them, cannibals and stuff like really crazy stuff. You start to see, mm-hmm. and it all feels so genuine for a movie in 1979. It's really hard to believe. Yeah, I, I I couldn't believe uh, when I look back at to see what like where I make this comparison all the time where TV was in the seventies and in the eighties and to think that you could go to a cinema and see something that's you know just as good as what they they make today in in a lot of ways is just is uh it's mind blowing um, and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the beginning of, of the movie too so it starts out with um, uh, Captain Willard. Uh, he's being recruited to do the secret mission and uh, <laughs> Harrison Ford is one of the, the two officers there at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're talking about this, uh, this, this officer. He's, he's got his own thing. He's basically gone rogue and he's operating without any kind of restraint. And, and, and it's a real interesting piece. And it's brought up in the movie because he's like, if, if Kurtz is a problem 
or rather if Robert Duvall's character is not a problem and he's just like indiscriminately bombing villages like what is Colonel Kurtz doing that is so bad yeah it's 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 (laughs) and you never I I guess you're, you're left up to figure that out right you're left to decide that for yourself like that's part of the experience of watching the film like you know, how, how is Colonel Kurtz such a bad guy? And I think that's part of the journey the movie takes you on, right? As, as Martin Sheen kind of starts to get deeper into the jungle, and maybe he's going a little bit more nuts, or maybe he's starting to see things more clearly. And that's implied at the end when he finally does get to Colonel Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando, um, in a very creative series of shots. Marlon Brando is hidden almost exclusively in shadow, and it's played up to be this dark and light kind of dynamic, right? You never yeah. really get a good look at the guy. You never really see who he is. Um, he's always just kind of shrouded in darkness. Um, very creative uh, and for good reason. Yeah, and you never actually see his face. Uh, there's there's one time when you do see him, but his, he's covered in, in uh, you know, uh, camo paint. Uh, so, you know, again, you're not really getting a, a clear look at the guy. Yeah, as, just as an aside, it's probably not worth mentioning, but for anybody who doesn't know this by now, the biggest reason they shot him that way, not wasn't because it was creative and tonally consistent. That was a solution. It was because when Marlon Brando showed up on set, he was like 300 pounds uh, because that's how he perceived the character to be. And Francis Ford Coppola about had a meltdown. When he realized <laughs> his star or his, you know, his other big star had decided that Colonel Kurtz needed to be very heavy. Um, that was just a Marlon Brando move. He's Marlon Brando and damn it. That's what he was going to do. And, uh, they had to get creative and they definitely did because it works in the movie. It's not, it's not that distracting, but it is bold. And like so much of the movie that does make it seem like it's up for kind of spoofery, right? A a lot of, a lot of like pop culture really grabbed this movie in a way that was surprising. and, And I didn't expect that. Um, what, do you have any comments on that? Because I found an instance of it uh, just the other day uh, after having watched it that I, I didn't know was a, was an Apocalypse Now reference. I mean, what, what do you think? It's kind of the sign of a of a great creative where you do something so unique and so and makes them that's such a landmark that people can't help but parody it, and that you know where it's from. And I, I I've recognized so many parodies, and I without ever having seen the movie, I just know oh yeah, that's from Apocalypse Now, which I've never seen, but it's just been everywhere so much that it's yeah it's just it's a huge part of cinema yeah i, I the, the the instance in question i've been re-watching seinfeld on hulu and uh in in one of the later seasons i'll keep this brief uh elaine bennis right uh sure she becomes president of the jay peterman catalog company and jay peterman her very wacky boss uh, goes out to burma to live out amongst the natives and figure himself out she goes out there to find him out to find him to help her out of a jam that she ends <laughs> up in and she finds him living in a temple just like colonel kurtz <laughs> and he's like in shadow and he says goofy lines that are exact like one of them is a straight ripoff from the script like it ends with him she shows him the catalog since she's been running it, and he says, the horror, the horror. Like, it's very... And I never knew that was Apocalypse Now. I just thought he was being kooky. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there are tons... Like, yeah, the, the cultural footprint this movie left is, like, distinct even today. And I think a big part of that is the performances. Uh, Marlon Brando was tremendous in more ways than one. Uh, the surprise cameos from up-and-comers like Harrison Ford, Lawrence Fishburne, Arlie Ermey is very mm-hmm. briefly in this movie as a pilot. Robert Duvall's great in this. And Martin Sheen 
do you want to explain to people why you had a heart attack or, or can I? I, I go ahead. Cause I actually forgot the. Yeah. 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 So in the opening scenes, uh, when Marlon, when, when, uh, Martin Sheen is in the hotel room and he's kind of having a breakdown and he's drinking, uh, apparently for that, they wanted it to be real raw. So he did actually get pretty tipsy on set. According to uh, IMDb trivia, as far as it gets you. All right. Might, might be, you know, take it, take it what it is. Uh, apparently he and Francis Ford Coppola went in there and shot that like alone. They were like real chill and they set up the cameras and they said, okay, we're just going to kind of just the two of us are going to be in here. And he got pretty drunk and was on set. And in the scene where he breaks the mirror and cuts his hand, supposedly that did actually happen that he did actually cut his hand and he crawls across the bed and gets blood all over him. And it was like a whole thing. And he had been drunk. Apparently during those scenes, there was a heat wave that rolled through uh, and it got super hot and equipment wasn't working. And while they were shooting, he had a heart attack. It was like a real thing. Oh, geez. 36 years old. So next time you're watching that movie, it's just no, a bit of that is practical and, uh, it costs them dearly. So. Dedication to the craft. Wild stuff. And, and where does all of that dedication get us ultimately, Andy, with apocalypse now? <laughs> I, I, what do yeah. you, what do you think? Yeah. Let's get into what, what is this thing about? Um, yeah, what is it about? It's it's hard to say. So it, the opening is really incredible because you get the these scenes of basically the jungle, and it slowly fades on to the hotel room where we see Martin Sheen's character, and then there's a really long soundtrack, and there's uh, you see the forest get or the jungle get bombed, and like it's it's it reminded me so much of two thousand one in being a visual medium to tell a story and to and to also be it's philosophizing on a lot of things. And so th- there's lots of themes like loss of in- of innocence, the hypocrisy of war, American exceptionalism. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm still trying to unpack a lot of what, you know, kind of happens to Marlon Brando. There is this whole thing about a visiting soldier, a touring soldier, a visiting soldier, and someone who's a real soul, quote unquote, real soldier. Um, you know, someone like Martin Sheen, who, it says at the beginning of the film that he, uh, you know, he got out of Saigon and then he just wanted to go back. Like he was not in the right, he wasn't good when he got back to the States and he eventually went, he asked to go back and finally go. And so there's, and we meet soldiers like this along the way who have totally bought into like, this is what, this is where I want to be. This is where I belong. And we would win the war if everyone was like us. Yeah. We get this run wonderful range of performances from young kids like Lawrence Fishburne who are, scared but trying to act tough to actual kids that are 17 and terrified about where they're at to people who are clearly suffering from PTSD and are scarred but seem to be thriving in this environment kind of similar to Martin Sheen other people that have their own demons and people who like Robert Duvall somehow seem completely oblivious to everything yeah. and are just like aren't even paying attention like it's it's really this fascinating spectrum of human condition spread across like these swaths of American soldiers that make it for a really, a really colorful, like there's a lot of different shades of black, I guess I should say in this movie. Like there's a lot of different approaches to, to what war is and how it affects you. And like, it just makes a long boat ride that much more interesting (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it gives you something new uh, and you never really know what kind of horror is coming around the next corner. um, When it comes to, uh, uh, I guess, to quote the original story, the, the heart of darkness, right? That's the whole thing. So mm-hmm. it it reminded me, uh, and this may seem cliche of of the quote from The Dark Knight: "You either 
uh, die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. And that's kind of what we see happen with a lot of these soldiers. Like uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character is uh, killed uh, near the end of the film. But then there's another kind of young, bright-eyed kid who's uh, he's a he's uh, blonde and he's a, a kind of a famous surfer. And by the end of the film, he's like, he's totally lost his mind, but he's, sur- he's survived, but he's like covered in war paint and he's like in a, in a trance in a daze. He's the only other person to survive in addition to uh, Martin Sheen. And, you know, you can tell that he's more or less gone off the deep end as many soldiers did. Yeah, and there's this odd sort of, like, irony to it, because, like, how did that guy survive? You know, the guy who completely dropped his weapon and was taking acid and, like, made no eff you know, just totally got caught up in, in, in the war and lost his mind, man, and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But everybody else who's really trying just gets, like, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that message is supposed to be. I still haven't figured it out yet. I, I still feel in a lot of ways like I did. After, after we saw the movie and we were standing outside the marquee and thinking to ourselves, like, how are we going to talk about this on the show? <laughs> and I think we've done an okay job, for what it's worth, yeah. uh, to kind of wrap things up. I think Apocalypse Now is a movie you probably need to see for yourself. Uh, I would have thought before seeing it, yeah, it's just one of those movies. It's a classic. It's more than that. It, it really is. Uh, Andy, any final thoughts for recommendations? Yeah, I, I thought it was going to, when I first saw it, I thought it was going to be one of these things. It's, it's a classic. You got to watch. It's probably going to be long and boring. And But I was totally into it. Uh, like I said, there, this cut is a little bit too long. There's a sequence near the end where, where they stop and have dinner with these French colonialists, and there's like this romance section. None of that is in the original cut, and I'm not sure it really makes the film any better. Uh, the first two acts are great. I kind of struggled with the third act because of that that section. Um, but this is an incredible piece of work, and it and it really had me in the first time I watched it, and then again this this most recent time. Like the mystery of who Kurtz is and what he's done and why he's doing is to me very intriguing, and that really pulls me along as well as all these kind of vignettes that that we see uh, throughout different parts of, of the film. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I would recommend it as well. Uh, I haven't seen the other versions. I know this one felt a little long, definitely towards the end. Uh, there's a scene specifically with the French colonialists like, that almost in its entirety could have gone. Uh, it really doesn't need to be in there. But if it's a little too much for you, feel free to watch the original. I think that one's shorter. Uh, the redo is longer. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you probably want to skip that one. But if you're going for quality... The 4K in this movie is fantastic. There's a few sh- there's a few scenes that look like they were shot yesterday, and they're all the way back from 1979. Uh, Apocalypse Now Final Cut, totally worth the price of admission. Would recommend. Yeah. Absolutely. Two thumbs way up. And with that, we should wrap up the show. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at the brand new It Chapter 2. Very exciting. Uh, we're also going to watch Late Night on Amazon Prime and see what that's all about. I think we're not in... One of the headlines we were talking about, late night, yeah. right? Well, actually, next, we're skipping next week. This is actually two weeks from now. Oh, excuse me. We're taking the week off for Labor Day. That's right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah, Labor Day week, we're going to take off. Two weeks from now, we'll be back. It Chapter 2 and Late Night on Amazon Prime. Man, that's a bummer. People are going to be hard up for that. Like, oh, I thought they were going to see it next week. It's <laughs> fine. We'll be back, and it'll all work out. Uh, if you enjoyed the show... Write us. Let us know what you thought at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're on all the social. All of the social. We have the best social. Our website is offscriptfilmreview.com and visit us over there for more. And if you liked the show, if you enjoyed listening, the best thing you can do is just subscribe 
or leave a rating and review if you really want to go for extra credits good good podcast etiquette tip your tip your waiters and your waitresses and leave your podcasts a rating and review for all of us here at off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for listening